You guys can remain standing, but I'm going to pray real quick. Call my wife up with me. As you can tell, we're very pregnant. Yeah, we're in this together. <laughs> Bow your heads with me. God, I want to thank you for being here before we even got here. I want to thank you for filling this room with your presence. I want to thank you for using me today to speak to the people that have come and the people that are watching online. I pray that you would speak to their hearts, use the words that I'm speaking if you must, but if not, uh, let them leave this place with something that you put in there. In your name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Thanks, babe. Matt's got my table. Thank you, band. Matt, I have to apologize. I, I am not good at names, everybody. Um, thank you. I, like, forget names right away. And Matt's been coming for over a year, I believe. And I know him, and I know him well, and I know his name. But when Paula asked me if she needed to bring the table up, I was like, no, uh, Aubrey's boyfriend is going to do that. So anyway, that's your new name. Hope you don't mind. Uh, my name is Tim Warnock. I'm one of the youth pastors here. My wife, Kara, who was with me, is our other youth pastor. And I have the privilege today of speaking with you guys. Um, I'm not our normal Sunday speaker, so if you guys are brand new here, don't judge us by what I'm going to say. Please at least give us one more week <laughs> before you stop. Uh, Anthony is out of town this week. He is our head pastor, and he will be back next week. And we're going to continue on what he was talking about. Uh, we are in a sermon series called Squad. Let's see here. If you guys have never preached from an iPad, it can be daunting because you got to like scroll up and down and sometimes you hit the wrong button and everything goes away. So if that happens, you can laugh at me. That'll make me feel more comfortable. <laughs> uh, I am one of the youth pastors here, like I said, and normally on a Wednesday night, I speak for around 10 to 15 minutes. If I go long, it's like 17 minutes, and then I realize that I went too long, and I wrap it up really quickly. Um, so this sermon might be short today, which I'm sure none of you are like, oh, no, not a short sermon, because you'll get out of here a little bit quicker. So, but then again, it might go long. You never know. Um, like I said, I usually do a certain time, and I feel like I put a lot more into it. Uh, so it might go a lot longer, and it might go a lot shorter. We'll see. Anyway, we are talking about squad. So my first question to everybody is, have you guys ever been in a squad before? Raise your hand if you feel like you have a squad that you're a part of. Good, good. Also, I wanted to mention, I see so many new faces. Welcome. Um, earlier, we said that if you are brand new, today is your first day, you can text a number. Can you put the number up on the screen, Abe? If you text this number, then we will send you guys a $5 gift card to Dutch Brothers. Uh, there's like no strings attached at all. We just want to know that you're here and we want to be able to welcome you and give you a gift, especially after you have to listen to me speak. We'll be like, hey, you know what? Here's a gift card. Please come back. <laughs> uh, I try to be funny, so don't feel bad if you're laughing. Um, that actually makes me feel good about everything I'm doing, my life choices and whatnot. Anyway. If you've been in a squad before, second question I have for who here has been on a team before, and I'm thinking specifically like a sports team. Sports team, we got a couple of sports guys and ladies, wonderful. Um, and then last one, who here has been or has a large family? 
and I'm thinking immediate family, but you can also expound it to an extended family if you guys are really close. Lots of people, okay? So I feel like everybody here has at least experienced one of those things, or maybe not, um, but I feel like maybe. You know, even if we expand the word team to like your team at work, maybe your team at work has a certain goal that they're trying to do. I've been blessed enough to have experienced all those three things in my life. Uh, I'll start off with sports. So a sports team usually gathers for the purpose of performing a task, which is to win the game, right? To score the most points, to stop the other team from scoring as many points, and then to win the game. They are very um, direct on point with what they are trying to do. I currently coach swim team for uh, West Salem High School. I also have coached water polo in the past. I played water polo and played swimming. That's not how you say it. <laughs> I should know that. I did it for like 10 years. No. Um, but I swam in high school and at the collegiate level, and then I was able to play water polo at the collegiate level as well. Um, and it honestly changed my entire life. I highly recommend young people, if you can play in college, do it especially if they're willing to pay for part of your college, which mine was. It was great. So I played water polo for, at the collegiate level for a team that was very good. Uh, they ended up being ranked top seven in the entire nation. And I say played for very loosely. <laughs> uh, it was more like I got to practice with the team and they gave me some money to be there. Uh, but really, I was really good at swimming. And they were like, he can also play water polo. Let's try to give him a little bit of scholarship money so he can swim too. But we had an amazing water polo team, and I got to train with them, and I'll tell you, it was the hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. We got there three weeks before school started, and we would wake up at 5 a.m., and we'd head over to where the pool was, which was off campus, and there also was a track there, because it was like a high school, I believe. So we'd go over there, and we'd like, I got there thinking, oh, we're headed to the pool. And everyone's like, no, actually, we're headed to the track. And I was like, this is water polo, right? I didn't get in the wrong car. This isn't track team or soccer team. I'm like, no, it's water polo. But we're going to spend two hours running in the morning at 5 o'clock. I was like, okay, I'm not, uh, I never, okay, let's do it. So... <laughs> We'd, uh, we'd spend about an hour running on the track. We'd do sprints. We'd do distance stuff. We, we, on the football field, we would run 10 yards, do 10 push-ups, run 10 yards, do 10 sit-ups, run 10 yards, do 10 squats, all the way down. Then we'd get to the end, and we'd sprint back, and we'd do it again for about an hour. Uh, then we would head over to the football stadium where the stairs were, and we would run stairs for about an hour, up and down, up and down, up and down doing double time stairs where your feet have to hit each stair twice, where your feet have to hit each stair three times, where your feet have to skip three steps, jumping, all with the mentality that we're going to get the strongest legs out there. So that by the time we get in the pool, we'll be faster, we'll have more stamina, and we'll be able to tread higher out of the water. So two hours of that. Then we get to head over to the pool. I was like, finally, we get to play water polo. Water polo is the most fun sport I've ever played. And I have a large family, and I got to play every sport. And water polo, by far, uh, is the most fun in practice, and it's the most fun in the games. 
Okay, with football, you kind of have a lot of stop and go, stop and go. Um, with basketball, there's a lot of running, which I already said, I don't love running. With soccer, again, a lot of running. Hockey seemed cool, I never got to play it because we didn't have like a million dollars and you have to buy all your own pads and stuff. Uh, same with lacrosse. But water polo, honestly, the only gear you have to buy is a Speedo and they're not that expensive. <laughs> so, so I got to be a swimmer and I got to play water polo and it was so fun. So we're headed over to the pool and I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to play at a collegiate level. These guys are all amazing water polo players. And we get there and the coach is like, all right, grab your goggles. We're doing laps. I was like, wait, <laughs> laps? I wanted to like, you know, get the ball, score a goal. He's like, yeah, we're going to swim, just swim for two more hours. Uh, and we're going to do sprints and we're going to work on our breathing capacity and we're going to do underwaters and they're going to throw, at one point they threw chains in the pool and our goalies had to literally wrap their body in chains and tread water for like 10 minutes wearing chains. We had one exercise where we had um, those like plastic, no, they were metal folding chairs, they threw those in the water. We had to hold one above our head, treading water, while our teammate, our partner, would swim all the way down the pool and back, and then we would switch. So you're like, go faster, partner, go faster, partner, go faster, partner, I can't do this very long. And then, your part, and then you do the swimming and you're like, all right, just go slow, relax. <laughs> You're like, no, wait, my partner's dying back there. So we do that for about two hours. So at this point, we've worked out for four hours in the morning. And I was like, man, I'm tired and I'm hungry. And they'd say, okay, let's go to the weight room and let's lift weights for an hour. And obviously, I'm not like the bulkiest guy. Uh, right now, I weigh about 250 pounds. I'm 6'5". At that point in time, I was still 6'5", but I weighed about 193 pounds. So a lot skinnier. I was pure muscle, but I was not bulky. So lifting weights, they're like, Tim, you really, really got to do this hard. And I'm like, look how long my arms are. If I'm benching, like, I have to go twice as far as you short guys. This is not fair. It's way harder. Same with squats. I'm not going to get strong. And honestly, I did not get very strong. Um, so now we're at five hours of workout in the morning. And then he'd say, okay, let's go back to school, let's go to the cafeteria, and let's eat. And we would try to eat literally as much food as we possibly could. Um, like I said, I was 193 pounds. Everybody that was faster than me in the water was my height, but they were like 230 pounds. And I was like, the only way I'm going to be able to gain weight at this point is if I'm eating 10,000 calories per day. And honestly, I couldn't do it. I was, every day I tried to eat 10,000 and I just could not do it, could not do it. Um, but I was working out a lot and the fat was shredding off of me with not much muscle gain coming back. So after lunch, we'd take a quick nap because we were exhausted from waking up at five in the morning. And then our coach would come by and say, all right, get in the van, we're going back to the pool. And then we would play water polo for two hours and it was great except for the fact that everybody else on the team was much better than I was. So I was just getting dominated. And water polo is a very physical f sport. Uh, it's very demanding on the body. And the guys I was playing with were bigger than I am. And I'm a tall guy, but they are bigger. So I spent two hours basically getting dunked under the water and drowned. And I was like, this sport, I love it. <laughs> Let's do this forever. 
So what are we at now? We did two morning, two hours of running, or two hours running, two hours of swimming, one hour of weights, then we ate lunch, and then we did two hours of actual water polo. Then we got to go back to the school, eat dinner, tried to get as more many calories as I possibly could, and then we would meet out on the baseball field and we would play ultimate frisbee as like a team camaraderie, let's get to know each other, let's become a team, let's have fun, let's laugh, because the rest of the time there was no laughing. Um, let's have fun, and then like after a half hour playing Ultimate Frisbee, which was a great time, he's like, see that hill right there? Let's sprint up it. We're like, no, this is the worst. So we spent another half hour running. So we were at about seven hours a day of working out. And it was demanding, and it was grueling, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Our team consisted of guys who were on the Croatian national team. So we had three Croatians on our team. We had one guy from Serbia. Uh, we had one guy who was from Australia. We had another guy who was from Malibu, who was the number one ranked player in the entire USA. He played for Pepperdine and then flunked out and came on our team. We had some guys from Orange County where I went to school. We had a guy from Texas. And then we had me, who was from Oregon. There was tons of different personalities on this team. We had guys that liked to party, guys that liked to drink. We had guys that liked to play video games. We had guys that literally just liked to fight which I've never understood that, but they loved it. Uh, we had guys that loved watching baseball, which again, why would you watch that sport? It's so boring. <laughs> Have you, any baseball fans? These lights are too bright. I'm just gonna assume there's none. <laughs> You're welcome. Now I won't think poorly of you. <laughs> Water polo is such a fast-paced action sport that when you go to baseball and the guys just sit and they're like, Hmm. And then the other guy's like, hmm. And that's like three hours of that. So never loved it. But we had guys that loved that. We had introverts on the team. We had extroverts on the team. We had extreme atheists on our team. And we had super Christians who were in it to become Lutheran pastors. But all of our minds, when we were in the pool, were set to the same goal, even though we were vastly different in body shape, in appearance, in thought, in personality. Our goal was to win, and when we were in the water, nothing else mattered. So that's a team. I also asked who here has a large family. Let's see those hands again. Large family. I am number four of five children. We are all two years apart, which means my mom had kids in diapers for 10 years straight, so bless her soul. Uh, by the time I came around, though, my sister was old enough to help with a lot of that stuff, and then my little brother is just kind of spoiled, but that's right. Uh, my large family usually also gathers to perform one task, and that one task is to eat everything in sight. Right? My mom got really good at making cheap meals that would feed 100 people, which means they would feed the five children and the two adults in our family. We'd have spaghetti. We'd have uh, my honest-to-goodness favorite meal she makes is rice with, like, 
a pork gravy over the top. It's just rice and gravy, but I love it. Like, I could eat that all day long, every day. Every time she makes it still, she'll call me over. We perform the task of eating everything in sight, or the other thing that we do is we try to make each other laugh all the time, or we try to make each other feel safe enough that if we have to be crying, that we can have a safe place to cry. My family is very tight. We are very close. We love each other. But we also have three introverts in the family, four extroverts in the family. There's a couple of us that really ride that line of introvert, extrovert. Like, I love being around people and like having a good time, and it like fills me up. So technically, I'm an extrovert. But then also, I don't like getting out of bed, and I like to just kind of hang out by myself and read a book. So I also understand introverts. We have three pastors in my family. We have one redneck who uh, his job is to shoe horses. He's a farrier. We have two salesmen. We have two writers. We have one filmmaker. Some of us lean very left politically, and some of us lean very right politically. But when a task needs to be accomplished, we work hard, and we try to make each other laugh the entire time that we're doing it. Last question I have, who here has a squad? Let's see those hands again. Okay, squad. This is the name of our sermon series, and being a squad is all about laying down our differences for the cause of Christ. My squad is unique. I'm going to have you pull up the picture of my squad. Oh, yeah. Be jealous. Look at our fashion sense. We are all wearing what we term jorts. They're jean shorts that we made. Even my dog Spot is wearing the remnants of jeans around his neck. He is awesome. So this is my squad, and we are pretty unique, and I love them. We have one who is a teacher. We have one who is an accountant that's turned to a van life enthusiast, and now he just travels the country in a van with his wife. We have one who's a real estate broker. We have one who is uh, technically an environmental engineer, but what he really does is he gets um, soil and tests it. We tell him that he, his professional job is to soil himself. <laughs> and he's like, I could go with that. Yep. He just drives a truck around and takes soil samples. We are from California. Texas, Illinois, Washington, and Oregon. And when we gather, much like a family, our task is to perform. We perform the task of making sure that we are all on track to become better men, to become better husbands, to become better fathers, to become better Christians. But I got to tell you, and we'll get to that later, but we were all not always like that. We started off in a very rocky position in college. So squad. Last week, Anthony opened the series by telling us that Jesus had a squad that was mixed, was as mixed or more than any team or squad or family that I've been a part of. Okay, his 12 disciples ranged from being fishermen to being tax collectors to being very politically active, trying to overthrow the Roman Empire even. 
to being followers of John the Baptist. They were hard workers. Some of them were thieves. Some of them had money growing up, and some of them were poor growing up. So let's go to Mark chapter 3, 16 and 19, if you guys brought your Bibles with you. If not, we should have it on the screen. If you guys are watching online, welcome, and it should be posted for you here too. 3, 16 and 19, this is from the English Standard Version. He, being Jesus, appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. Now, I probably mispronounced that, but we can remember that is the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Okay, the more you dive into the Bible and the more you look up uh, these guys' background, the more you realize that this squad that Jesus chose is a weird one. These guys wouldn't necessarily hang out outside of having a task to accomplish or having a friend like Jesus that brought them all together. Now, this is my favorite part, and this is what I'm talking about today. We're talking about just two of them, James and John. And if you saw in verse 16, they are called the Sons of Thunder. Now, who here is an ACDC fan? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Na 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 thunder. I was joking with Nathan that I was just gonna do that for like six minutes until you guys all joined in. Thunder. So now I'm going to. No, just kidding. Love that song though. It's so good. The Sons of Thunder. What a cool nickname, right? Or maybe not. I think uh, that scale is if you're an introvert, Sons of Thunder sounds like people you would not want to hang out with. And if you're an extrovert, Sons of Thunder is like, yeah, I could get behind that. Those guys sound like they're having a good time all the time. James and John were the Sons of Thunder, and this is a nickname that Jesus gave to them. It also always reminds me, besides uh, the ACDC song, it also always reminds me of the Bash Brothers, right? Now, my baseball fans know who the Bash Brothers are. Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco. Those are not who I'm talking about. Younger people in the crowd know who the Bash Brothers are because we've all seen the Mighty Ducks too, right? These got these two big guys on the hockey team that their entire job is to check people into the walls, pull their shirts over them, and punch them in the face. And their coach is like, get out there, Bash Brothers. And then they just charge like the strongest guy on the other team. That's what I think of when I hear Sons of Thunder. Guys with that kind of personality. Ones that are willing to be reckless, willing to jump in, willing to destroy the opposition. James and John were the Sons of Thunder. I think this is kind of funny. The Bible doesn't tell us why he called him that. Now, the name itself uh, loans it to some interpretation like what I just said. Maybe they were like the Bash Brothers and Mighty Ducks too. But historically, there's a couple of things that people think, that historians think. Number one, 
James and John were probably very loud in voice, okay? And number two, they probably were very destructive or powerful in their personalities. Okay, so number one, loud in voice. Let's kind of walk through this a little bit. These guys were fishermen by trade. Their dad owned a big fishing boat that they would go into the Sea of Galilee and all night long they'd be pulling in nets and throwing nets and pulling in nets. But who knows that in the ocean or in the Sea of Galilee, it's probably very loud when the wind is blowing. And the only way to be able to be heard is to be loud and yell at each other. Who here has seen Deadliest Catch? Right? This show was super popular a couple years ago. Um, it's all about these fishermen that live up in Washington, not Washington, in Alaska, and they are on these huge boats, and there's always like a new guy that they're just yelling at and cussing at, and they're like, don't do that, do that, don't do that, go, go, go. And it's like deadly because if this young guy messes up in any way, he literally could be torn limb from limb by the machinery that's on these boats. Okay, it would have been very similar back in this day where they'd have all kinds of pulleys and wheels and systems like that to retrieve the fish from the ocean, from the lake, from the sea that they were in. So they would have had to be loud just to get their point across. And especially if their dad was the owner of these boats, they probably had a leadership position where they had to be loud to be heard. And they had to be heard to be successful in their job. The Bible also tells us that they uh, grew up not being poor. Okay, not only was their dad the owner of this fishing business, but it also talks about how they had um, servants that were hired that could do work for them. Okay, so these guys grew up not being poor, being told to be loud, being told to be leaders, being told to lead the people that they had hired, and they grew up a little bit selfish because of that. Or a little bit entitled is probably a better word for that. Next up. Probably loud like thunder, yes. But also probably destructive and powerful in personality. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. This is going to be verse 53 through 58. Okay, so a little bit of backstory here. Uh, the disciples and Jesus are headed through this place called Samaria on their way to Jerusalem. Now, Samaria is a land of people that used to be part of Israel, uh, but then Israel was conquered and some of them were exiled, and the Samaritans started worshiping God in their own way and on their own mountain. And then the Israelites came back and they were worshiping God in a different way and on a different mountain. And because of this, they hated each other. Okay, this sounds a lot like how some Americans treat each other these days when you don't, dis you don't agree with the way that they're doing things. Uh, these guys literally would beat the crap out of each other if they saw each other. These guys literally would try to kill each other if they did something they didn't like. And Jesus and his followers are traveling through Samaria and they're looking for a place to sleep. And it says, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned to them and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. 
the gall of these guys. <laughs> right? If I'm ever hanging out with Jesus, I'm not going to be like, hey, do you want me to destroy these guys? Like, what do we know about Jesus? That he loves everyone, right? He died for everybody. But these guys were so full of themselves and they were so angry with what happened that they got together and like, you know what? They should not be treating Jesus like this. They should be giving us a place to sleep. They should be giving us food to eat. But no, you know what? What happened in the Old Testament? When they disagreed with the prophet, the prophet called down fire. Jesus, let's call down fire. <laughs> Jesus is like, no. <laughs> They're like, no, come on. Foosh! Foosh! And everything goes up in smoke. That's their personality. Okay, so you can imagine why Jesus jokingly calls them the sons of thunder. Because they're all about being loud, about being destructive, about being powerful. Luckily, in this situation, Jesus was more level-headed. Is it just me, or uh, the more I hear about these guys, the more I wonder why Jesus picked them? Right? If I, am, if I am Jesus and I'm trying to save the world through death on a cross, I might not be trying to pick up the guys that are trying to murder people for just not giving us a place to sleep. But he had a plan. So loud, yes. Powerful and destructive, yes. I've also heard Anthony give a third reason that these guys might have been called the sons of thunder. This is the funniest one to me. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 20, 20 through 23. <clears throat> then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, came up to him, Jesus, with her, the mother, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said, say that these two sons of mine are going to sit, one at your left and one at your right, in your new kingdom. This one struck me as super interesting. Like, these guys are loud. They're destructive. They're commanding. Uh, they're mama's boys, right? They, like, they're literally just trying to call fire down from, from heaven to destroy people. And then their mom's like, James, John, you follow me. We're going to get you a place in the new kingdom. I'm like, yes, mom. Yes, mom. No problem. Jesus, you give my son's seats at your table. Anthony's point is that maybe he literally was calling them sons of thunder because their mom was thunderous also. Maybe thunder is how he referred to James's and John's mother. Not only sons of Zebedee, but sons of thunder, this woman who would stop at nothing to see her son succeed. What they didn't realize is that Jesus' kingdom was not going to be on earth. See, at the time, they thought when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to come and he was going to take out the Romans who currently uh, had invaded Israel and that he was going to set up a new kingdom on earth just like David did in the Old Testament and then that kingdom would rule. So when the mom says, let my sons sit with you at your table, she's thinking that they're investing in some sort of ground-level project to bring a new king to Israel, and that these two will be rulers in Israel because of this question that she asked them. Little did they know that Jesus' whole plan was not to have an earthly kingdom there, that his plan was to die so that we 
could live and eventually get to that kingdom. He says the kingdom of heaven is here and now, but the kingdom of heaven is not what you think. The kingdom of heaven is love. The kingdom of heaven is acceptance to other people. It's forgiveness of sins. Squad. Sermon series is about not only diving into who the disciples of Jesus were, and over the next couple of weeks we are going to look at all of them, but it's also figuring out what some of their differences are and some of the things that they had to leave behind in order to follow Jesus. They all find a commonality in Jesus, and they all leave something in order to follow him. Okay, just like my water polo team in college, we all were very different from different parts of the world. We all believed different things, but we had one commonality, and when we were in the water, the only thing that mattered was winning. James and John had to leave several things behind. First, they were asked to leave their successful family business. Okay, when Jesus called them, they had just gotten off their boat, and he said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, no longer are you going to have these boats, this lifestyle. You're not going to have hired servants. You're not going to be in your father's employ. You're not going to be able to boss people around. But come and follow me. And they did. Because they must have seen something that was better in Jesus than what they currently had. And Jesus knew that they were loud, and he knew that they were crass, and he knew that they would try to take charge of situations, and that is what he wanted on his team. But he asked them to leave their jobs and their livelihood to do it. Second, they had to leave behind their sense of entitlement. See, when their mother asked about the boys being able to sit left and right hand of the throne of Jesus, like I said, they believed that there was going to be a kingdom on earth and that they were entitled to being rulers in it because they were best friends with Jesus. But they were going to have to leave that behind. Let's read Luke chapter 9, 49 and 50. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. And Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Jesus, Paula was trying to cast a demon out of somebody, but she's not hanging out with you. <laughs> Jesus, these guys aren't your friends. They don't know you like I know you. Okay, they aren't one of the 12. What right do they have to be speaking out in your name, doing powerful things in your name? And Jesus was like, if it's done in my name, why do you care? If it's done in my name, then it's done for the good of the kingdom. Okay, these guys felt like they were entitled to something because of who they are with and because of who they are. These two, and especially John, acted like the only ones who were close to Jesus could do works like this. I like to read that in a whiny voice because I just imagine him being like so upset, but in like a really dumb way. Jesus was like, I'm going to need you to stop. Stop whining. I don't like it. 
You see, Jesus was doing something that was much greater than the sons of thunder could realize. They thought they were signing up for a ground floor investment in New Kingdom. They were, thought they were signing up for the left and right at the table of the new king. But Jesus asked them to lay that down too. I started to tell you about my little squad. And we're currently, we currently use each other to sharpen who we are as people. We currently use each other, like I said, to become better men of God, to become better fathers, to become better husbands. Uh, we currently are doing an ab workout challenge. We're trying to become better stewards of our bodies. But it wasn't always this way. For the first four years, we knew each other. We met in college. And honestly, we were a lot like these sons of thunder. We were loud. We were obnoxious. We had like two goals in mind besides playing water polo. Goal number one, we're going to get drunk on the weekends. We're going to find a party. We're going to go. And we're going to chase this feeling of invincibility that we feel when we drink. We're going to chase this feeling of being better than people, this feeling of losing all control because it makes us feel something. And number two, we're going to chase women. And we're going to spend our entire weeks scoping out the women that we want to chase down. And we're going to spend our entire weekends trying to get them to come to that same party so that we can make mistakes that should not be made, to put it lightly. The sense of immortality that we were chasing um, <clears throat> led to some good things. It led to us being closer as friends. But Jesus started to speak to us in that, and Jesus started to say, look, this is not who I want you guys to be. I remember him telling me that, Tim, if you are looking for a woman of God, which I was, I thought when I marry somebody, it's going to be a strong woman of God. He said, Tim, if you are looking for a woman of God, I need you to be a man of God. And I need you to stop drinking your hardest. And I need you to stop trying to kiss every single girl at the party. I need you to read your Bible. I need you to do the things that a man of God would do. See, we're just looking for a physical connection anywhere and with anyone. We wanted to be the biggest, the baddest, the funnest, and we were. Slowly but surely, we have become more like the people that God wants us to be. And like the Bible says, iron is sharpening iron in this situation. But we had to leave things behind. I'm going to call the band back out if you guys would come. These sons of thunder, James and John, had similar experiences to what me and my squad had. Because once they really started to see who Jesus was, and once they started to see his plans come to, come to fruition, they realized that they wanted to be all in. But they also realized that they needed to stop trying to call fire down from heaven on the people. James, historically, was the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred for his faith. The Bible tells us that he was executed by the sword. 
John was the only disciple to die a natural death when he was old. But that doesn't mean he didn't go through a ton of stuff to get there. Okay, historic history tells us that at one point he was brought into the Roman Colosseum and he was boiled alive in a pot of oil. But miraculously, he came out of it unscathed. He was exiled to the island of Patmos for a long period of time where he wrote almost 5% of the whole Bible. Okay, the book of John and then the letters 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. See, John went from asking Jesus if he could call down fire to destroy an entire village to writing these words in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with our Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the appropriation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He went from being like, hey, these guys messed with us. They didn't let us sleep here. Let's kill them. To saying, no, people have sinned all over the world, and Jesus died for their sins. Jesus paid the price so that they don't have to die and suffer eternally. And in John 3, 16 and 17, I forgot to tell Abe to put this one up, so I'll just read it to you. You guys, a lot of you will already know 316. It says, For God so loved the world, this is John remembering what Jesus had said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, like he used to think, but in order that the world might be saved through him. These guys had to lay stuff down in their life. They had to lay down the fact that they were brought up as fishermen. They had to lay down their jobs. They had to lay down this feeling of superiority over people. But they got to keep who they were. There's something thunderous about the way that John is telling these people that Jesus died for them. There's something big, there's something bold. So I don't know all your guys' stories, and you only know a small percentage of mine. I don't know what your preconceptions about Jesus and the church are, but I do know that Jesus wants you to be in his squad. And maybe you feel like you're just like James and John. And maybe you feel like you're thunderous and you're angry and you're loud. And maybe it's just the opposite of that. Maybe you feel like you don't have any worth. Maybe you feel like there's nothing you could do to add to this. Maybe you feel like you'd rather sit at home. What I do know is Jesus wants you to be on his squad. And I know that in order to grow in relationship with him, he's going to ask you guys to leave some things behind. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's believing that you're better than somebody. Maybe it's a relationship that isn't healthy. Or it's a habit that isn't healthy. 
on the flip side of that, maybe it's a habit that isn't unhealthy. Maybe it's just scrolling Instagram and Facebook all day. Maybe it's the idea that if someone doesn't believe the way you do, then you should call down fire from heaven onto their village. We've all been there, right? (laughs) Especially lately. Especially. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to go into this last song. Uh, Last week, Anthony opened up our front steps here. And he said, you know, some churches have this tradition of calling people to the altar if you want to pray about something. This series we're in is about leaving something behind. And if you feel like God is calling you to leave something behind and you need a little step, you need to say, I'll do it. Come to the altar here. Come to these steps and pray about it during this next song. We're going to have a couple of our elders here come up and pray with you if you need it. But if you don't, that's fine. If you'd rather just stay in your chair, kneel on the ground there, that's fine too. If you'd rather just worship your guts out, you can do that too. I'm going to pray real quick. God, thank you for giving us this book of real people. And I don't mean real as if as in they existed, Lord, but I mean real as in they went through some stuff that we can relate to. That they had faults and they had weaknesses, Lord, and that you did not edit those out of the Bible so that we could also feel worthy of your love. Lord, you show us that they were loud, they were obnoxious, they had faults. I want to thank you for showing us that even though they had faults, you still wanted them on your team. And I pray for all the people that are here in this room and the people that are watching online, God, that you would let them know you want them on your squad. And even if they have to leave something behind, that they will come out better because of it. Pray that you'd be with us for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, Lord, and that this word would settle into the hearts of many.